if we would come to the Lord and ask these four things, asking first that we would be strengthened with might through the Holy Spirit in the inner person, asking secondly that Christ would dwell on the thrones of our hearts, asking thirdly that we would be rooted and grounded in love, and no matter the width, the length, the depth, the height, that we would know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, And then asking, fourthly, that the Lord would fill us with the fullness, all the fullness of God. If the Lord would grant that prayer to us, I believe that our lives would look totally different. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And the four things, the first is found in verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Paul has had a lot to say about the riches of God in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 1, verse 7, he spoke to us about the riches of God's grace. In verse 18 of that chapter, he said, the riches of the glory of God's inheritance Chapter 2, verse 4, he referred to God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he has loved us. In verse 7 of chapter 2, he said that he was asking that God would show us the exceeding riches of his grace in the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In verse 8 of chapter 3, he talked about the unsearchable riches of Christ. In verse 16 here, he refers to the riches of God's glory. He's praying that first and foremost as he prays for us. And that's why I say these are great prayers just to take the passage and and say, you know, I want that because I do. I want this. How many of you wouldn't want to be strengthened in the inner man, the inner woman, the inner person? To have strength within. That means strength of character, strength of soul, strength of mind. To surrender all to Christ in that way. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Now there's two Greek words at play to define the word strengthened and to define the word might. The one for might 
is dudamis. It's the same word that's found in Acts 1.8 where the Lord says that the church should go and tarry in Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem, the Lord said to them, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. To think about the power of Christ, the dunamis power of Christ, it makes me think of, well, because I'm a preacher, man, it makes me think of proclaiming the word and having a thousand people come to faith. That's never happened for me. But I can dream. I still have those dreams every once in a while. But to proclaim the word, the power to do ministry, the dunamis power, it's an outward thing. Uh, in the book of Acts, you shall receive power. And we know in the book of Acts that when the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 came upon the church, that almost, it says about 3,000 souls were saved that day. That's power. Power to do the work of ministry. But as I was looking at that, thinking about the Acts 1-8 model, it's you shall be my witnesses. It's kind of an outward flow of God's power through your life. But you can't know that power rightly unless you have that inward flow of God's power in your life to be strengthened on the inside. It speaks about an inner strength and might of the Holy Spirit working in our lives to change us from the inside out. Did you know that song when you picked change us on the inside, change me on the inside? You read the scripture. Wasn't that good? <laughs> It's like he was almost thought about planning these songs to go with the message. It's that inward strength. See, I've seen, and we all know, evangelists that have been out there, great men and women of faith who have been out there, who had some kind of outward power. There was something going on in their lives, and yet they failed in their lives because they did not have this inward strength. And God has set these individuals on the shelf. And I believe that sometimes the Lord lets us get away with some of the outward dudamous power. But if we don't get in check this inward strength and might in our heart, the strength of our soul, this inward man, this inward woman, eventually the outward stuff will go away too. And I think if you would work on the inward stuff, and we, all we can do is ask the Lord, please help us. And, and it's a work. It's a work in progress. But I think if we get the inward man being renewed and strengthened with the might of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that the outward stuff will just be a natural. It'll just happen. But it needs to happen inside us first. And that was his first request in this prayer for the church of Ephesus and for us. That God would grant us according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Secondly, he prayed in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. To have Christ dwell in us. It's something that happens at salvation. The moment we're saved, Christ indwells our lives. But Paul is going deeper here. He's talking to the church here that Christ would dwell in them through faith. He's talking about the Lord taking residence in our hearts. He's taking occupation of our throne. I uh, was thinking about an uh, illustration that Carl Westerling gave when I was in the school of ministry. He was teaching through Romans when he gave this illustration. And maybe you've seen this illustration before. He had uh, three circles that he had drawn. And in one circle, there was a chair, or we could say the throne of our life. And Christ was on the outside of this particular circle. And the individual was sitting on the throne of his 
heart, throne of his life. Second circle had Christ inside the circle, but the individual still sitting on the throne. Christ was in, but he wasn't on the throne. The third had Christ sitting on the throne in the circle and the individual sitting at the side of Jesus Christ. And I think that kind of depicts this prayer, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that Christ is on the throne of our life, on the throne of our hearts. We had uh, prayed and has been mentioned, we'd sang from Psalm 51 in verse 6, he says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, in the hidden parts, you will make me to know wisdom. It's talking about an inward power, an inward strength. Having Christ sitting on the throne, that goes back to that inward strength. It ties back to the first part of this prayer. That Christ would dwell on the throne of our lives, would be in our hearts. God said in 1 Corinthians 6.16, he said, I will dwell with them or in them, I will walk among them, I will be their God and they shall be my people. But Paul is taking it deeper here. He's wanting Christ to settle down into our souls, to be rooted at the very center of our lives. I was thinking about it, the church of Laodicea. Now they were part of the body of Christ. They had a candle on the lampstand. They had a messenger, an angel to the church of Laodicea. Jesus was speaking to this church who had become self-reliant, and we know them best as the lukewarm church of the seven churches of the book of Revelation. They had said, I am rich and have become wealthy. I have need of nothing. This self-reliance that they had, it's like, I don't need anything. But Jesus said, do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? It was to this church that Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, and I, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. It's to this church, uh, Revelation 3.20, that Jesus said that. I've been guilty of using that very same passage for someone to accept Jesus Christ at his, his first time. This is what Jesus wants to do. He wants to come into your heart. He's standing at the door and he's knocking. But in the context of that passage, the Lord Jesus was talking to his church and he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. That circle again. Jesus is outside. He's not on the throne any longer. That Christ may dwell in you. That he may sit on our throne of our life. That he would invade our lives. You know, if we don't allow this to happen, we then become the church of Laodicea. We then become the lukewarm church. We then become what Christ said to them. That you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, and you wouldn't even know it. See, the church of Laodicea thought everything was good. Times were good. They had everything that they needed. They had need of nothing, they said. They were a wealthy church. But the one thing they lacked it was the one thing they needed the most was Jesus Christ. Somehow he got outside the soul of their hearts. And Jesus was knocking and saying, let me in. And it's the prayer for Paul that he may dwell in your hearts through faith. That we could pray as Paul prayed, Christ in us, the hope of glory in Colossians 1.27 or Galatians 
2.20 where he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That we can live in such a way that we love Jesus and, and, and we know it's, it's not a show. I've had people put on the Jesus show for me, especially as a pastor, especially when they want something from their pastor. And it's when you're working with Love in the Name of Christ and Love, Inc., and, and people come around the church needing help and stuff, they can get pretty church-sounding in their language. They can, you know, make you think that they love the Lord. And I remember in Zion once a guy coming in and saying that I've heard so much about your ministry, and I was just an interim pastor. I mean, they didn't even have a pastor at the church. I was just filling in. I'm thinking, you don't know anything about me. And yet he was trying to make it sound so churchy. What I discovered with this individual, that he had been working scams at many of the churches from Antioch to Zion in Lake County. They put the talk on, but it's not real. It's not Christ within. They just know the outer language of it. And so often we can get trapped. We still are believers in Jesus Christ. We have the language down, but Christ is no longer dwelling on our heart's throne. And that needs to be. Number three, it's his third part of this prayer in verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. That's an interesting prayer because he's saying, I want you to know something that is beyond your knowledge. It passes knowledge. You can't know it, but I want you to know it. And he even takes it to the width and the length and the depth and the height. And we can think about directional, you know, as wide as you want to go, as long as you want to go, as deep as you want to go, as high as you want to go. Ever discovering the love of Jesus Christ. I think it surpasses knowledge in such a way because it's a continual learning process. The more we learn about Christ, the more we learn about his love, we still have more to learn about Christ. We still have more to learn about his love. And I believe that's why Paul said it passes knowledge. We'll never completely know the love of Jesus Christ, though we may get a glimpse of it. And we have gotten a glimpse of it through Scripture. But this isn't all that we're going to experience about the love of Jesus Christ. When we get to heaven, we're going to see him with his nail-scarred hands, and we're going to get a better understanding of it, but we'll spend eternity in worship. And we'll be trying to discover the width and the length and the depth and the height of this great love that the Lord has for us. It passes knowledge. In 1 John 4, 10 and 11, John wrote to us and said, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. A love that surpasses knowledge. And finally, he prayed that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That's found in verse 19, to be filled with the fullness of God. I was thinking uh, about David as I was going through this study 
He was a great warrior. You know, that first prayer that we would know the strength of might, and he knew the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ in battle. He knew the strength of having God by his side in battle. He was a great warrior. They sang a song about King Saul and about David before he became king over Israel. But the song's line was, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. He was a great warrior. But he also later in life realized the great need of that inner strength. We can have a great outer strength. And it was through war, as you read through Scripture in um, Chronicles, we learn that David was battling one of the giants, Goliath's brother. And he almost died until one of the brothers of Joab came and defeated the giant in David's behalf. Now, Scripture tells us at that point they would no longer let David go out to battle. So we read in Second Samuel... When it was spring, when the kings go out to war, David stayed home. I believe that David, though he waged many battles, David had killed his ten thousands. His greatest battle that he probably ever waged was one that was in his soul, one that was in his heart. It was when all his men were off fighting in war that on the top of a roof of his house one day, he looked out and he saw Bathsheba bathing and he asked for her. As a king, he could ask for a woman, and she could become his wife, but she wasn't single. She was already married. What should have happened, even if David desired her and asked for her, the word should have come back that she's married. She's Uriah's wife, and that should have been the end of it. But it wasn't, as we know. Bathsheba came. What should have happened is Bathsheba should have said, I don't care if he is the king. I'm not doing this, but she didn't. I believe both are guilty in this one. And I think the what should have happened, we can say a lot of times of ourselves. We get into situations that just turn bad, and we know that it was because this inward dwelling of Christ, it just wasn't there. We had ask the Lord to be in our hearts, and we have allowed him to sit on our throne, but there's a point to where we say, you know what, Lord, I'll take the throne again. There used to be a bumper sticker that God's my co-pilot, and then after a while, another sticker came out and said, um, God's the pilot. I'm the co-pilot. You know, it, both are kind of cool, but the second was an understanding that God needs to sit on the throne, that you may be filled with the fullness of of God. Now, David's son Solomon would speak about God at the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings 8.27, and he would say this, Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. Solomon realized we built this marvelous temple for the Lord, but it can't contain you. And we have become the temple of God, and we cannot contain all the fullness of God in the sense of all that who God is. There's no way that we could contain it, but that's the prayer that Paul gives, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The idea to know Christ, or rather, the more we know about Christ, will bring us into a greater awareness of God. See, in Colossians 2, 9 and 10, Paul says this, 
in Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. If you want to pray this part of the prayer and say, God, that you would may be filled with all the fullness of God, that I may be filled with all the fullness of God, then what you need to do is come into that greater knowledge of Jesus Christ because we are complete in him. We are complete in Christ Jesus, that we would be filled with the fullness of God. I, I can't comprehend how that could even play out in our lives, but I can dream that if we would come to the Lord and ask these four things and surrender ourselves to him, asking first that we would be strengthened with might through the Holy Spirit in the inner person, asking secondly that Christ would dwell on the thrones of our hearts, asking thirdly that we would be rooted and grounded in love, and no matter the width, the length, the depth, the height, that we would know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, and then asking fourthly that the Lord would fill us with the fullness, all the fullness of God. If the Lord would grant that prayer to us, I believe that our lives would look totally different. I believe this church would be totally different. I'll just speak for myself. I believe that perhaps I have a little of this or some of this, but not all of this. This is what Paul desired for the church of Ephesus. And I believe to this day, through the Holy Spirit, this is what Paul desires for us. He closes out with a doxology in verses 20 and 21, saying, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. So according to the Holy Spirit working in us. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages, world without end. Amen. All that we ask or think. So let me ask, what, what could you ask? What could you think? What could you dream to pray and ask the Lord for? How big is your prayers? James tells us in James 4, 2, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And I believe that is one of the problems of the church today is that we just don't ask. There's things that we do that we think we got it. So often we are like the church of Laodicea. I got this. I can handle this one, Lord. You've given me skills. You've given me abilities. I don't need your help with this, but I need your help with the big ones. So I'll come back when there's a big need in my life. But right now, I'm going to just handle the little stuff. I've discovered that we get in trouble the most when we handle the little stuff. We need the Lord helping us in everything. It's not just because we don't ask. He goes on to say in James 4, 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. I say, Lord, I need that new Mercedes. I've never prayed that. I, I don't envision myself in a car like that, but there are people who do pray those prayers. And the Lord says, no, you need a Nissan. That's what you need. I know what you need. <laughs> And maybe, you know, it's not a Mercedes for us, but we all have our things that we like. And sometimes we don't receive because we're asking, but we're asking the, for the wrong things. He goes on to say that you may spend it on your pleasures. Hey, you're asking for stuff that's just going to bolster your pleasure, your life, but it's not about me. 
Now John said in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, and that's the key right there, that if we're asking, not according to our pleasures or not according to our desires, but according to the will of God, if we ask, he hears us, and we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have petitions that we have asked of him. We have the petitions that we have asked for him when we ask according to his will. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And to me, that is just a, a phrase of prayer that stretches my imagination. Paul is wanting us as a church to stretch our imaginations. What do you ask? What do you think? According to the power that's working in us, according to the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of Christ that has indwelled us, when we have him sitting on the throne of our life, then we will say to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Realize that this isn't it, this life. God has so much more in store for us, world without end. One day we're going to be with our Lord in heaven. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.